0: We've got one of our favorite episodes for you today. We are bringing back Andrew Updike, the economist. And man, he is just so fun to listen to the way that he talks about what's going on here in 2023, where things are going from an economy perspective uh, it's, a, it's a great listen. He breaks things down in such a way that really anyone can understand and uh, and he's good at talking about it. So uh, we brought him back so that we can kind of catch you guys up to speed as far as where the economy is today. And then he's got some insights on where it's going to go going forward. So make sure you listen all the way through.
1: Yeah, I'll just give you a couple teasers. We're going to talk about the U.S. dollar. Uh, is it going to still be the reserve currency? Is that going to be a, 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 is that even a real conversation? Uh, we're going to talk about the banking issues the debt selling, uh, recessions, all that good stuff. So listen to the whole episode because we have a lot of things there that we share. Also though, if you like to read, like a lot of our clients tell us that, hey, they they always like to go read the 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 blog after they listen to the episode. Uh, we do have a blog written on this as well. Just go to the website, pomwealth.net, go to the blog page. If any of this triggers a scenario where you think, hey, I'd love to, be able to hop on a call, have a conversation with myself or Merce, You can go to the website top right hand corner click on schedule call we'll be glad to uh, hop on a call with you but before we get into this episode we have to do a very quick disclosure
0: that's right the information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice different types of investments carry different levels of risk as always please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation enjoy the show
2: welcome to the secure your retirement podcast Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq.
1: Welcome everyone to our Secure Your Retirement podcast. We are excited to have you with us today. This is uh, one of our favorite episodes that we do every quarter. We have on our uh, economist, Andrew Updike. So first of all, before we go much further here, Andrew, thank you so much for buying time out of your schedule to hop on and have this conversation with us.
3: Hey, I love to be with you guys. Thanks for having me back.
1: Good. So, you know, one of the things that we love about having you all in every quarter is that it kind of gives us, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, in the financial planning, looking at the whole picture from an individual's perspective. And then sometimes we're looking at the investment side of things, but obviously when things are going good, everybody's happy, there's no worries. When everything's being a little rocky, you know, the, the, the client, the, the person who's planning for and living throughout the retirement, they get like, what the heck is even going on? So first mm-hmm. off, before we start going into some specific issues, um, Andrew, could you kind of give us a high level of kind of maybe some of the things you've seen here happen in the first quarter of 2023 and, and kind of maybe compare that with even where you thought things were going to be?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the major question coming into this year was what was going to happen with inflation in the Fed. That was that was the major market movers of last year. The Fed obviously accelerating last year far beyond what they thought, but they ended last year with inflation high. And so coming in, there was a lot of questions surrounding are they going to do two rate hikes, three rate hikes, four rate hikes this year? How long were they going to keep rates elevated? De- obviously, recent events that have come up in the last month, month and a half related to the banking sector have made maybe shifted their course a little bit. But let's let's take a look at the broader economic outlook because we are starting to see uh, progress is still continuing. First quarter GDP, which we won't get that number here for a few more weeks. Uh, first quarter growth was relatively robust. Uh, jobs continue to come in strong. They're starting to slow. Uh, we got data recently for the month of March. It showed that the job gains while still above kind of quote unquote normal levels are coming back down. Uh, And what we're really noticing is a divergence within the economy. If you look at the two sides, you've got the service side of the economy, you've got the good side of the economy, and those two sides are moving in very different paths. The good side, which remember, this is where we all went during COVID. Uh, This is where all the activity moved when you couldn't go outside, you couldn't go to the airports, you couldn't go to the hotels, you weren't going on vacations. That side, uh, the good side has kind of moderated, and I would say even that side is probably in a recession today, but services have been picking up the slack. The question right now on the Fed's mind is, you know, inflation has not come down yet, but as you see weakening, which side of the table is it gonna stand on? Is it gonna prioritize economic growth? Is it gonna prioritize inflation, which is what Powell's been saying? Uh, to be honest, it's kind of like, we're going through that mid 70s period all over again. Is Powell gonna be Burns? is Powell going to be Volcker? And what's happened recently with the banks has, has you know made that a more difficult conversation. Now, real quick on the market side, markets are up, you know. and you'd think with some of this volatility, you'd think with some of the issues and some of the slowdown, that might be some headwinds, but what we've seen is areas that got beaten up last year are kind of leading the charge this year. But again, there's a lot of questions So that's kind of where we sit here at the beginning of the second quarter of the year. And I'm sure there's going to be more volatility and more surprises to come.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that the service side, the the balance of the goods side and the service side of the economy. Uh, We're we're here in Raleigh, in the Raleigh-Durham area, and we have a pretty large airport. And I've noticed Mm -hmm. that uh, some of the direct flights that got cut uh, back during COVID times are now coming back. So that service side of the industry is broadening back up and recovering a little bit more. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Um, you touched on the banks and I, I think the banks are just so timely to talk about, and we don't have to go into the weeds as far as what happened with the banks. But I think everyone's worry now is well, something unprecedented has happened as far as FDIC coverage goes and everything like that. But, um, what I'm more of my question is, is. You've got this new look on the banks from a regulation perspective, and, and I, I believe, I think that there will be a tightening on the banks as far as how they are able to give out dollars. And and so does that start to push us into what maybe what the Fed is looking for in a different way to start to push us into this recessionary type of environment?
3: Yeah, you know, honestly, what happened with the banks? And let's let's just step back real quick because this is – I know for a lot of people, they remember the financial crisis. They remember the housing crisis. They remembered the banking issues that surrounded that. And back then, we had things, for example, with mortgages where people stopped paying their mortgage and some of those mortgage loans defaulted. This is not anything like that. What happened here essentially is U.S. Treasuries – which are supposed to be the safest asset in the world. The government will pay their debts. There's a liquid market. They got hit, Uh, banks got hit from holding these assets in an environment where interest rates went up. Now, I'm not gonna dive too deep on that. I will say real quickly that I think the issues with Silicon Valley Bank, uh, First Republic, some of those, it kind of ties into that discussion we had on goods versus services. That Silicon Valley Bank, for example, was very tied in with a lot of new business, IPO companies that that really boomed during COVID when everybody said, hey, the world has changed. You need to get in, in these, these new world companies. Silicon Valley Bank being at the hub of entrepreneurship got really engaged in that. And when it turned out, we liked going on vacations. We liked going to the restaurants. When the world started turning back, they got caught out. But as you mentioned, the regulatory side of this and the concern, if you're a small and regional bank, here's the thing. Most people, right, I I would assume in your area, I'll tell you for sure in Chicago, most people had not heard of Silicon Valley Bank before any of this started, right? They didn't bank with them. Silicon Valley Bank doesn't have representation out here. They're more of a West Coast bank. There was a lot of things where people were like, "I, I have no idea who these groups are. I have no idea how to evaluate What's on the balance sheets of my local banks? Are they in a similar situation? So banks started to tighten up. They started to hold a little bit more capital. They started to slow down on some of the lending. Essentially, what the banks did is they kind of made another, I would would argue it's the equivalent of another rate hike from the Fed. I think that a slowdown in lending activity from the banks, which we've seen, and because these are small and mid-sized banks, it's particularly hitting small and mid-sized companies the big s p 500 companies a lot of these publicly traded companies are are working with these major you know jp morgan bank of america wells fargo uh the major banks who are less impacted by this but yeah it is it is kind of pushing towards further tightening and here's the, the way i would think about it is that when you see a slowdown in lending when interest rates go higher it's more expensive to borrow and buy a house and what would you expect to see your home purchases what are we seeing we're seeing a slowdown on the housing side when there is a a a higher cost as a business to borrow and invest in people products projects technology you see a slowdown so the slowdown we're seeing economically it's not a collapse of activity it's not that that consumers don't want to purchase anymore it's that it's become more difficult to buy that technology that keeps the, the output growth continuing, and you start to see a stalling out. It's not a precipitous decline, it's a bit of a stalling out, and this, this will contribute to it. I wouldn't spend, just to, you know, tell people, I wouldn't be overly concerned on what we saw from the banking front. I do not think that this is going to be, you know, uh, another financial crisis. I think it is largely contained, but it has knock-on effects, and that's what we're going to be witnessing here over the next three, four, five, six months how much do banks pull back? How does this affect the Fed's path forward? And ultimately, what does that do for U.S. growth? I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out.
1: Yeah. Good, yeah. We uh, we appreciate hearing your your perspective on that. So let, let's talk about another topic that's obviously picked up some steam. I know in the past, um, and I can't remember exactly what, but I, a few years back, the whole idea of the U.S. dollar not being the reserve currency of the world is kind of was a big topic, and then it yeah. died down, but, and, and we didn't really talk about it anymore. But now it's kind of coming back in this conversation. Uh, can you give us for for our for our folks that are listening, kind of give us maybe what the conversation is being had and then how your interpretation of that conversation uh, about that.
3: Yeah. So so the U.S. dollar has been, for really about the last 200 years, the most important currency in the world. It is the currency in which international transactions take place. It's the currency that other countries want to hold. They need it for trade. They want to have it to, to protect their own balance sheets. The reserve currency status which in the past has been other countries it's been the uk if you go back you know 200 300 years it's been china it's been uh, other nations essentially right whoever has the most stable most important currency in the world has a net benefit as a nation there's more demand for their debt it keeps our interest rates lower uh they have an easier ability to transact on an international scale you have power and so this reserve currency status which is a major benefit to a nation. Uh, Any time that somebody has a reason to think that's at risk, it makes headlines, and it's a cycle that's gone through every few years. We hear a new argument on why the U.S. dollar is going to lose its reserve status. The latest arguments have been uh, deals that have come up, for example, with China and Brazil. China went to Brazil and said, hey, you know, we're going to purchase commodities from you, Brazil being a major commodity producer, but we want you to pay for it in renminbi, in, in the Chinese yuan. We don't want you to use U.S. dollars anymore. And Brazil, because they have so much reliance, they want to get that that export activity. They want to have this production said, sure, if that's what you need, we'll do it. And, And a similar thing happened in the Middle East and people started to look and said, hey, They're moving away from the dollar. This could be that pivot moment. This could be the moment that the US loses reserve status. And and if that were to happen, interest rates here, US treasury rates, the cost for government borrowing would go up. That knocks on the consumers, that knocks on the businesses. Now I'll tell you this, we hear this story every few years and, and again, it, you know, it sounds interesting, but you really have to dig into what is taking place. The greatest benefits the United States has, the reason it has been the dominant currency is because we have the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it's because we have private property rights, rule of law, democratic system. And, and because of that, right now, even with these changes, about 60 percent, of of reserve balances uh, internationally are held in US dollars. About 60 to 70, 80% of international transactions take place in US dollars. It's one of those things that we always have to combat because the story sounds interesting and anytime China makes it into the conversation, people say, well, China's so big. China's so big, they're the second largest economy. Uh, We we need to take this seriously, but the reality of it is China represents about 2% of transactions. They've been trying to make that a larger Number, but developed markets, developed countries, they don't trust communism. They don't trust a, a government who's historically manipulated their currency. So, well, this is almost assuredly something you will hear more about over the coming months. It is not something that I think will substantively change. And just like we saw two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, this is a passing conversation that raises fears, raises an, an anxiety. Uh, And then, ultimately, it fades to the background as cooler heads prevail.
0: Yeah, I I like your stance on that. And I think that a a lot of the viewers will take ease in their minds as far as uh, the way that you just talked about that, which is, again, why we appreciate you coming on. You explain things in such a nice, simple manner that because economics is not always for everyone. It's not always something that is easily graspable. So uh you you, you explain things so well while we're while we're talking about currency i think it would be silly not to talk about the debt ceiling and where we're at there mm-hmm. right now obviously the u.s has printed a lot of money to get through the last couple years of of stuff that we've had to deal with and now the issue has become is are we are we way far underwater than we've ever been before and i think that the number is always going to be scary right when we're talking about debt and how far how far we've gone But um, I think the argument against it that I'd like you to talk about is, well, you can have debt, but it's all about your ability to service the debt, right?
3: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. Let's say that you walk to your local mall, and you you stop two random people that were walking out, and you ask both of them, you know, how much is your mortgage? And maybe one of them comes out and says, my mortgage is $500,000. Another one comes out and says, my mortgage is $300,000. Do you know from that information who's in better financial shape? And if you think about it for a second, I think you'll realize, no, you don't know from that alone. You need to not just know how much they owe. You need to know what their income is. If you've got that person with the, you know, the $300,000 house and they're making a million dollars a year and they can comfortably pay for this thing and the person with the $500,000 is barely getting by, you know, the debt numbers, they don't tell you the full situation. You need to understand both sides of the balance sheet. And, yes. U.S. debt is at all-time record highs, and that's true on the corporate side. Uh, I think it's probably true right now on the consumer side. I know at least within some of the categories it is. But here's the thing. U.S. assets are at all-time record highs as well. And the number that I pay the most attention to is what percent of GDP, our U.S. production, goes to pay and service the debt. And right now that number is at about 1.9%. To put that in context, when debt was lower, but interest rates were higher in the 80s and the 90s, we were paying about 3% of GDP. So today, uh, even though the debt outstanding is higher, because of our growth, because of our productivity, we are in a a healthier balance sheet situation. Now, don't get me wrong. I wish we would get spending under better control. I think that is critically important as we move out into the future. But the debt ceiling debate that you're gonna hear uh, it's something that, again, it happens r- r- with a repetition. Every year, every two years, you hear this debate on what's happening with the debt ceiling, and they, they, they yell at each other, they fight with each other, they kick the date down the road. If you remember back to the end of 2018, 2018 was a year where we saw the, the corporate tax cuts. We saw massive uh, earnings growth from the S&P 500, and yet the markets ended the year down because people were worried, fears were high. What What if this government shutdown turns into something bitter, uh, bigger? What happens at the same time the Fed was cutting or raising interest rates? What if they threw us into recession? There's echoes of 2018 today. What we saw back in 2019 is they do resolve these things. They'll yell, they'll fight, but we ultimately pay our bills. And if you hear on TV, something that says, you know, hey, we need to do this otherwise the U.S. is gonna default on their debts. That is just incorrect. The U.S. can prioritize payments. We have more than enough that comes in in tax revenue to pay our debtors. I do not think we will see a U.S. default, quite honestly, I think what well, we will have the name-calling, uh, that this ultimately is going to resolve itself in a rather benign way, and then we're going to move on to whatever the next thing is. But you turn on the TV, if you, if you go online and you start reading the financial press, this is going to be headline stuff because it catches eyes, it catches attention, it's, it sounds scarier than it realistically is. And those organizations, I mean, they, they sell advertising. So they're going to talk about everything that could possibly go wrong. We're risk-averse fear versus people, what, what our, our job is, right? And from, a, from an investing standpoint, one of the greatest things you can do is always look to put things in perspective, look back to history, try to understand the broader context. Quite honestly, one of your best things is turn off the TV, dive more into the data. And what you'll see is that, while well, this heightens emotions, it tends to have very, very, very little real lasting impact from a market standpoint or an economic standpoint.
1: Very nice. So what we like to do with you each time we're talking, Andrew, is kind of, you know, conclude with this, this, uh, this, this summary, if you might say, kind of like the, Mm -hmm. the, what are you worried about for the rest of uh, 23? And then what are you happy about what you're seeing happening for the rest of the year? And if you could, in that commentary, you know, let us know if uh, we're going to have a recession or not.
3: Yeah. So let me, let me start with the things that I'm worried about. Quite honestly, you know, one of the things that I'm worried about is that the Federal Reserve, with some of the volatility and everything that's been happening, has been kind of hesitant on really, really committing to the inflation fight. What, what they did with the banks, they stepped in, they added more money to the system, they started uh, paying full value on assets that really probably weren't worth it. They did essentially kind of a, qu- a closet quantitative easing. My concern, one of the things that I'm a little nervous about, is that Powell's acting more more like Arthur Burns in the 1970s than Paul Volcker. And my concern is if the Fed does not address inflation, if it does not keep it as its top priority, that inflation is gonna be with us here for longer. And we are starting to see a slowing down in the US economy. I do believe third quarter of this year, fourth quarter of this year, I do think we will see a recession. Now, not all recessions are created equal. That's a blanket term. But this recession is not going to look like the 0809 recession. It's not going to look like the 2020 recession. You want to look at a period of time, I would go back to 1991. It's a slowing down of the U.S. economy. It's a flat to slightly negative type of economy because it's become so expensive to invest in new technologies. That's, that's what I'm nervous about. I, I do think that there are still rocks along the way the positives you know what am i optimistic about right now uh i i do see that there's progress taking place in other places if you look right now earnings have been coming down okay and that sounds like a negative thing and it is a negative we, i'd rather have earnings higher than lower but the path that we're on right now earnings this year are expected to be roughly flat with where they were last year now, last year, people say, well, the markets were down. That was a tough year for earnings. Actually, earnings last year set a new high. And this year, earnings are expected to be uh, right around the highest levels that we have ever seen in history. Pre-COVID, we were averaging about $160, $165 per share. Every share that you own in the S&P 500, that grouping, right now, it's expected to be closer to 220 And that is Real progress. That is real growth. We have seen uh, production. We have seen output growth. We've seen people do kind of incredible things over the last two, three years, and those are things that are going to last us once inflation's behind us, once the Fed's job is done. So what I'm looking at right now, I still think that the service side of the economy is going to continue to progress us here in the second quarter. Um, but but you know, let's just be realistic that we will see some slowdown once we get through it. I think we've kind of got some clear skies ahead. I think we can set off on another strong bull market run. The greatest thing okay, I see through all of this is that the the, the private property rights, again, the rule of law, the democracy that is so core to our system here in the United States has not changed. And we continue to see companies from around the world looking to be here. We see workers from around, around the world who want to be here. And and when we look at the broader trends, we look at literacy, we look at education, we look at those fundamental core pieces that drive growth for the rest of my lifetime and into my kid's lifetime, uh, those, I believe, are moving in the right direction. And so we will get back to it, but buckle up a little bit here for the the second half of this year in particular. We're taking some of the economic medicine for policy decisions that were made in 2020 and into 2021. It's, It's not the most comfortable, but it's necessary in order for us to get to that sustained path where we can grow into the future.
0: Well, that's great, Andrew. I got to put you on the spot here. I think at the beginning of the year, you and your company were kind of coming out and saying that it's going to be market-wise a relatively flat year. Has any of that changed here as we've learned more about where inflation's at, where the Fed is headed and everything like that?
3: Yeah, right now, no. I still, our, our target is still 3,900 for the end of the year, which is actually a little below where we are. Again, the market is up this year. I do think we're going to see a little pullback on that. I do think as activity slowing down, when that R-word recession really materializes, that we could see certainly some market volatility. But as we approach the end of the year, if the Fed has done what they say they need to do, what they truly need to do, Inflation can be starting to get in check, and I think 2024 would be a year for for, for, uh, rate cuts not 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 dropping back down to zero but it starts to see an easing on monetary policy as the markets look at that towards the end of the year i think they start the rally that we see sustained into the future the net effect of it slows down a little bit here in the short term as the recession hits we start that recovery i think it drops us brings us back but ultimately we're we're largely flat for the year that that outlook we put out uh, i think it was in december of last year is still what we're targeting here for the end of 2023
0: okay very good. Well, Andrew, thank you so much again for coming on and taking some time out of your schedule. We know you're very busy, but our our listeners, they love hearing from you. So thanks again for coming on and just sharing some of your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.
2: All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.